<laughs> hey everyone, what's up? It's ARW Raw, and I am here today with the incredible Hamid Ibrahim, the amazing animator, creative, and co-founder of Kugali Media, which as everyone listening to this podcast probably knows, is creating a new project called Iwaju with Disney Animation. So how is your day so far, Hamid? My day is going pretty good so far. Thank you very much. How is your day going? My day is awesome because I'm talking to you and then I'm going hiking in Malibu. So I'm having a really nice Saturday. That, that sounds like a nice Saturday. <laughs> yes, it does. And I remember when you came here and we met up for tacos when you were here for your D23 presentation, you mentioned how you were going down there to go surfing. How did that turn out? Uh, it went really well. I managed to surf. It was my first time surfing. I was in the surfboard for about a second. It felt longer when I did the surfing, when I actually stood on old, like, both feet. But the pictures show a different story. The pictures make me look like a professional surfer, but it was a very good time. <laughs> I did enjoy surfing. It, it, was, it was a good time. I loved it so much. Those photos were everything to me, and I'm really just impressed by you because oh. I could never surf. Like, that is total goals. Like, oh, oh my God, you killed it. And it was so cool to... <laughs> It was so cool to see those photos because, like, your story contrasts so much with the photos because you're right. You look like a professional surfer in those pics. Literally. So That's I what I said. Don't trust Instagram, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing on Instagram is reality, right? And that just reinforces that. Um, speaking of Instagram, it's very interesting because someone tried to hack my account this week. So I'm supposed to be getting back in today. Um, I spoke with Facebook support. And, mm -hmm. you know, it really shows you you can't. You can't trust social media and you can't put all of your um, your content onto just social media because it could be gone in one day. That is very true. That is very true. Uh, I think it's an old adage they say, always diversify. You don't want all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. I fully agree. And I think it's so cool that you run such an interesting Instagram, not only the Kugali Media Instagram, but your personal one. Um, have you found that through your journey, which we'll dive into in a bit, um, that you have gained a lot of personal fans of your brand? Uh, yes, for sure. Uh, funny enough is before I, we were doing Iwaju and the rest, I wanted, I was keeping myself very private. I was one of those people who would upload once, like in a year I would upload maybe three pictures. Oh, but yeah. obviously it became one of my goals to try and get out there. So I was trying to get to a point where I can get my knowledge to as many people as possible. And social media is the best way to do that. And also getting acknowledged for what I've done. And there is something going on in the world today where it doesn't matter how amazing you are. If, you're, if nobody sees you in social media life, it's almost like it doesn't exist. You just get acknowledged by the establishment, which is not, again, that's an egg in only one basket. So that's why I started yeah. posting regularly in social media. And from as you talk about the fans, there are fans. And it, it's a bit crazy to me since I'm like, I feel like I'm just a normal person. But every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who is almost mind-blown to see me. And it, it, it's a weird experience. I do appreciate it. I do know where they're coming from. I, I do act like that to some people who I currently work with. So I can empathize with them. I love that. I actually have a lot of fans from my social media since I have almost 30K followers. Just over the years, people have followed me and, and followed my journey. And sometimes in the street, people ask me for photos. And I still can't believe it. Like, even in Hollywood, even in D.C., where I'm from... <laughs> Even in Colorado, where I work part-time, it's just so interesting to see how people react to our social media personas. And, like, you know, because obviously we're being ourselves, right? But, like, people see you as this larger-than-life thing, larger-than-life thing when you 
just said, like, we're just normal people, right? So it's so interesting to see that you have such um, a following and, you know, you're just such an ambitious creative and to be where you are now, which we'll jump into in a second. It's just, it's just so incredible that you were able to create this journey for yourself. And when we met up um, in Burbank, I thought it was so cool to hear about how you ended up partnering with Disney. And you hear so many stories about people selling their script to Disney or like whatever production company, fill, fill in the blank in Hollywood. But it's very rare to have a company that actually wants to partner with the big production company, the big media giant. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's bring you on. So I think that's, that's part of why people um, resonate with you so much because you really have made it happen for yourself and you're really outside the box. Really appreciate the compliments. Yeah. Uh, I think you put it really well. There's, I don't think there's anything I can add to that. It's just, uh, I think just keep working hard, I guess. and keep moving. Cause I don't know where I'm going to end up at the end. Right. But I think so far, I'm very proud of my journey so far. I think the funny thing, two years ago, I thought that I reached the pinnacle like a couple of years ago. I thought that my thought was if at this point, let's say, God forbid, like I passed away at this point, <laughs> I'll be fine. But now with everything else I've done on top of that, I'm like, ooh, uh, like it's just, it keeps going. I don't know you're where like, I'm going to end up. I can't believe I said that a few years ago. <laughs> Literally, you're right. I'm like, I was like, that was all I did. And I thought I did a lot. But yeah. it just keeps on increasing, yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy because the fact that you just founded your own company with your co-founders and you have such a powerful message, it's so cool. Um, so I'd love to dive into that and discuss how you became who you are now. Basically, all the details about how you got here, moving from Africa to England, your whole process of your company. And I'd love if you dive into the story that you told me Um when we were meeting up about your ambitions to go back to Africa and build more there. Yeah. So in terms of my beginning, I, I would actually put it down to three different beginnings, right? Because they're all tied down to the margin to one more powerful one. The first one was what inspired me to love art was Leonardo da Vinci and how I got to know of da Vinci was a very weird one. You know how you have adverts and the adverts show stuff that know about the product itself. That was one of those adverts. It was for a water company. <laughs> and the, they said something more than this. Then it was like the Mona Lisa much more than just art. And then they got into the next one was the actually water company more than just water. I don't know what company that is. I don't know what the advert is. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. But from that, that image of Mona Lisa captured me. And that's what inspired me to fall in love with art. That's like the first straw. The second one was to do with uh, Lion King. Because I was born in Uganda, but I spent a few years in Kenya. And being in Kenya, Nongia Swahili, so I speak Swahili. And in Lion King, I heard them speak, right, Swahili. And I couldn't believe it at first. I was like, there is no way they just spoke Swahili. It blew my mind. And that made me kind of pay attention to the animation more. And I fell in love with it even more. I so love that. Like so cool that there. you're just, you're so young and you've already done so much. And like the fact that you can trace it back to that and... The fact that you're so inspired by just like an advertisement, right? Like something can come out of nowhere and it just inspires us. And we are just, you know, we just yeah. become our own people and we start up with our own companies based off of what we feel in the world. And I think that's so cool. And I think it's, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's especially, uh, especially awesome that you lived in both Uganda and Kenya because you got so much experience in different countries and it's very just amazing that you've you've done everything you've done and you're all around the world now promoting your brand and it really started with just that single inspiration 
Yeah, it's crazy. It's just the smallest things, right? So, right. funny enough, it made me think about generally in the future. Uh, I know I'm, I want to have kids. Uh, hopefully, I have a lot of kids. And I'm going to make sure to put them around because you don't know what's really going to inspire your kid to do what. Because if that inspired me to do good, I'm sure right. there is something out there that inspired somebody else to do something bad. So, it's more about being cautious what you have your kids around, right? So, that made me think about that aspect. If this inspired me to do all of this, what out there can inspire my kids to do even more than I did or even something else? Yeah, as a creative, especially because you're doing so many projects and you're surrounded by so many incredible people. But especially when you have kids, which is something Jordan and I also want to do, you have to be really aware of the environment you're putting them into and what you're giving them to inspire them. And I think that's really cool. And when we met, I loved your story about your mom when you were like, I want to get a house and all that stuff and like rebuild there. And it's just, it's so cool that you're very um, humble and you give back because you don't hear about many people who partner with freaking Disney animation who are so down to earth. You know, you just hear about all these people who are like, they think they're at the top, like they're so cocky, they're so big ego and like you're the exact opposite of that. And that's really why I admire you. Thank you. I, re- I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I know. I mean that. Like, meeting you was really cool because for everyone on the sh- who's listening to the show right now, um, all my Westies who haven't heard about how I met Hamid, um, I know Hamid through my animator, Khalif, who is working on our project, Akoshu. And he was telling us about you for years, that he met you at Comic-Con and that you were, like, the coolest creative he's ever met because you just, like, created Aww. this cool world. It's just so awesome. And uh, we were always, like, oh my god I want to fucking meet this dude and then you came to LA and we met in August and I was like this guy has to come on the show because I know my fans are gonna love you and you're probably gonna get a ton more followers after this from my people and just the fact that you can inspire so many different cultures and so many different people like the fact that I'm just like a Jew from America and I'm just like I still resonate with your project and its message and everything it's like anyone can resonate with your project because it's just so real and such a great message for children and adults as well as not even just that project, just Kugali in general. It's just a, such a great, it's such a great media company. Oh, thank you very much. That means yeah. a lot. That means a lot, a lot. Uh, but I it's like all about African storytelling. Like you're being true to yourself. You're not like letting people like tell you what to make your projects about or telling pe- letting people tell you, oh no, you have to do this now. You have to do that now, you know? Yeah, I think that's what it's all about, right? I think the world today always demands for authenticity mm-hmm. and... I think a lot of people try to do what they think people will like. Right. And I don't think that's the role for the artist. The artist is meant to inspire people to look for what could be versus what is being enjoyed at the moment. So that's why I tend to lean towards that. I try to always do what I think is the best thing to do, not what I think people will enjoy seeing. That's very true. And um, this year I was nominated actually for three Grammy Awards. And... I never thought I could do that because I was like, who wants to hear the perspective of like this girl, right, from DC who moved to LA and this whole story about like USC and film school and creating my own company. But that's what a lot of my music's about. And apparently it resonates with people because they just want to hear someone's real story. They don't want you to make your story about their life. They want you to make a story about your life and your experience that they can relate into. Yeah, that is very true. That is true. It's a very different world we live in where we have the freedom to express ourselves, you know, between TikTok, Instagram, um, even just Webtoons and and all these Comic-Con events. You know, we have so many things now where we are connected online and we can share our ideas and our content and our our franchises with the world. And 
starting our own production company, Watchlight Entertainment, really showed me that um, once you formalize and make it into a business, people start respecting it, but people don't respect art when it's just art. And that's something that really bothers me in society because we should see artists as artists. We shouldn't see artists as like, oh, like unless you have the formal business yet, you're not professional. I hate that element of art and our um, entertainment and art industries. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I don't... I don't tend to look at it as something like, I hate this, why I love this. It's more, that's how the world is. And I try and move accordingly, right? So in other words, I don't look at it as it's people's responsibility to respect art. I look at it as our responsibility to make art more respectable. I like to look at things from our perspective. I like to to keep the power of making the thing happen on, on myself versus somebody external. So if I say it's their fault, I can't do anything about that. If I say it's my fault, I know for sure I can do something about that. So I tend to look at it like that. I hear you. And you can control what you can control and what you can't. You just, you you can't even worry about it. That's how I feel um, throughout my life. But especially with our production company and our animated series, Akoshu, it's just, you know, you got to do what you can do and what's in your power. And if you can, if you can make it happen, then you can make it happen. If you can't, you can't, you got to find a different way around it. And I like, yeah, I like what you said, which is like, if you can control it, then great, make it happen. But if you can't, then don't worry about it. And I think that's a big issue in our society. And I think we need to confront that more often, especially as creatives. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. I love that. And um, segueing from that into Kugali, how did you found Kugali? Like, how did you become this animator and then this businessman and then this basically creative executive? How? What was your path to that? And how did you end up in London and... Um, basically this entire journey from from when you were inspired by the water ad to now mm-hmm. if cool. you could like so, summarize that it's really it's a really big question to ask you but if you, if you there's a way you could like summarize that i'll try to summarize it as much as i can so in the beginning i would say let's say we have the journey in kenya which are those two main things right we have the water ad and we also have the lion king and right. then from those two events i now move back to uganda because uh, i was i was born in uganda then one year old, I, was, I went to Kenya, then back to Uganda. I came back to Uganda because my mom was going to move to the UK. So I was in Uganda with my grandma. So my mom moved to the UK, left me uh, here. She looked moved to the UK for better opportunities, right? Trying yeah. to make it kind of thing. Wow. So I was left with my grandma and we were a lot of kids. So it wasn't that bad. Obviously, sometimes it was a bit sad, but most of the time uh-huh. it was generally all right. You don't really think about it. Yeah. Uh, life in Uganda was always known as one of the smart kids and also one of the artists that's always like a trade I always had because I have a thing where I easily pick up things. I, I'm a very fast learner and right. there's something about like with kids again, anytime you do something that is cool, people usually praise you for it and that praise as a kid, especially if you're a bunch of kids because there was something like over 15 kids in that house. Wow. Right? So you want the attention so you'd have to do something cool to get the attention and <laughs> I think because I could draw it kind of gave me that extra attention, and I think I liked that. And also, that ended up encouraging me to draw more. So right. I started going deeper and deeper into that. But that whole time, it never even, it, would never, it wasn't even like a clear career path being an artist. Right. So I didn't think about it like, oh, I'm going to become an artist from this career path. It was more like, oh, this is just something I do. I'm going to do it on the side. And then my main job is going to be, at that time, I was thinking architecture, because the only thing I can think of that could merge art and science, because I always wanted to merge art and science. Just oh, like, like my idol, that works in architecture. I see. Exactly right. Yeah. So like your data from that. Like, this is how I'm gonna make money. Literally, literally, that's yeah. the whole thing. Even it's like it's there is 
if you told somebody you wanted to do art as a major or something like that in school when I was in Uganda, the only path people could think about was you want to be an art teacher. Right. Like, that was it, right? Like, oh, you're going to be an art teacher. Like, that was the only path people could think about, right? So you never really took it seriously. Yeah. And then what happened was how I came to the UK. Because I'd already applied for a visa to come join my mom here as a child visa. And but we didn't know that I had to fly before I turned eighteen. Because if I turn eighteen, I'm not I'm not a child anymore. That visa is void. All oh, right. So I was told that I'm gonna have to move country, move my whole life. I was told with like two weeks' notice. Oh my god! I didn't. Tell, I tried not to tell anybody because I was a popular kid in school. I used to dance, so I was known for dancing in the school, right? And it wasn't just one school because it was uh, five schools next to each other, so combined with each other. Oh wow! Now I was popular in all those schools. Now as I know if I tell one person I'm leaving, it's going to spread like wildfire, especially if I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. Yeah. And it's going to be in the middle of the term as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. So I just told one person and somehow the whole school knew. The day I left, I remember, because we'd go in, it's kind of like a big chest almost, you know, like the ones you see in video games where you find the prizes inside, but it's all metallic. We would have all our belongings there in the boarding school. And in this last day, because I was leaving, people knew I was going to go to UK. I left school and I traveled to UK, I think, not more than three days. I, I, was, I, I was in the plane already, right? People were like, you don't need this. So I ended up flying to the UK. I only came in the UK with hand luggage. And that hand luggage, I think, I had like two pairs of jeans, a couple of t-shirts, boxes, vests, and like and one art book, a few pencils. Like, that's all <laughs> I came with, with. That was literally my whole life, coming from Uganda to UK to join my mom. Wow. So that, that was kind of like the switch from Uganda to UK and then you feel that culture shock really deeply when I'm now living in the UK because I'd visited my mom in the UK before a couple of times but that's very yeah, different. I never lived there like full time. Exactly it's very different and then when you go to live there that's when you realize I'm like oh damn everybody I know is like my mom's age because they're all my mom's friends yeah. and if they have kids <laughs> we don't really relate we had completely different upbringings Right. They, they don't like the same things because African culture tends to draw more from, especially in Uganda at that time, it draws more from American and uh, let's say Jamaican culture to be specific, right? I was going to say Caribbean, but it's Jamaican culture to be specific. Right, right. It tends to draw from those, but not British at all. So I did not know anything that was exciting people. All the celebs in the UK had no idea about. Like, I didn't yeah, knew, like two totally people. totally different place and you just didn't even understand like their entire culture because you just moved there. Literally. Literally, it was just, it was weird, right? And every, even the way people spoke, I thought they were acting out the accents. Oh my God. <laughs> like when they said a word, like somebody told me Cheerio at some point, right? And it blew yeah. my mind. It was during, I'd gone with one of my friends. He loves coffee. So I was like, bruh, I'm going to go with him. It was, there was a coffee, I think something, it was an event or something, the different coffee companies. And that's why I saw the person there and the person went Cheerio. And in my mind, I literally could not fathom that being true. <laughs> it was just crazy that. right so funny and like it's just it's so cool and your mom has been so happy that you moved there with her because she worked so hard for you to move there you know and, and that whole process and it must have been really hard for you though like did you feel so lonely and left out because you weren't from that culture i didn't really think about it as much because it's a thing of i think thinking about small things is usually a privilege of you not having a bigger problem, right? Like yeah, right, right. Feeling, it's hard to feel lonely if you're in a difficult spot, if you have a lot of things you need to do. Because yeah. you really don't have time to process what's going on. So yeah. I think that's what happened then. Because 
I remember I moved there and I was living, me, my mom and little sister, we were living in one bedroom. Wow. And that was it. As in, during the day, we would just fold up my air mattress, which is on the floor, because I was sleeping on the floor. Mom and my little sister would sleep on the bed. We fold that up and then that's our living room. We'd sit down there and stuff like that. So that was the life. My little sister was around, I think, two years old around then, something like that, two years old, maybe wow. coming to three, around the edge. And mom was working a lot, so I'd come there and babysit my little sister through the whole time. So that that was the life, right? So if you're going through that, it's very hard to sit up, to sit around, uh, sit sit down and be like, "Oh, I'm lonely. Oh, I think I I need to talk to these people." And I was yeah, never, like, I'm not that like... emotional as well, so I never really processed that at all. Yeah, and that's that's funny that you said like you thought everyone's putting on like an accent and they're like you don't know the celebrities and stuff because and when you move to a new country, it's just such a culture shock. I'm sure, like even just just the whole process of you graduating and then three days later you just came and it was just that's just insane i didn't even graduate i left oh wait well, i think you were 18 when you went yeah i left i left before i turned 18 so i didn't graduate uh, i left sorry. so i left on the year i was supposed to graduate from coin code what you guys know as high school uh, uh i was to be all level that's the system we're on right i left yeah. on that year before doing my final exams because I had to have to I had to get to the UK before I turned eighteen, and the final exams were yeah, going through the, the year after I turned eighteen. Yes, yes, that makes sense. So, yeah. when you were doing that, were you still doing creative work, or were you focusing on your architecture career? At that all point? of it. You just like all of it. Just okay, all of it. Yeah, because in African schools, you don't get that privilege. We did like twenty in senior one, the senior one, senior one, senior one. We did like twenty subjects. Oh yeah. Yeah, so you're doing all of those, including art in there, right? So you get to do your art by with all this as well. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm doing this one here. And then by the time you get to senior four, by then you pick your 10. Uh, I was 12 technically, if I remember correctly. And obviously I had art in there as one of my subjects as well. So it was one of the interests. Funny enough, in the school, I was mostly known for physics and art because I was really good at physics. I think I got uh-huh. a really high grade one day. And the teacher became like almost my bestie from that. So those are subjects I was quite known for. Biology, I would crush biology. English teacher loved me as well. So it was one of those things where those subjects, I had a couple of subjects I was pretty good at. But I didn't get to even show that because I didn't do the final exam, right? I had to travel before I did that. That That actually became one of the challenges, which was a blessing in disguise when I came to the UK because I didn't have the O levels. So my last qualification officially was the senior seven one, which is like four years prior to that. Oh. So I applied for college based. I only got accepted based on my art portfolio into the course, and I had that thing in my head where I knew I was starting from behind. So it kind of motivated me to work harder because I was one of the smart kids, and you tend to be a bit lazier because you know you're gonna pass even if you're just fooling around. So I'd play around with the damn kids and I get higher grades than everybody. I was one. I was. I was, one, I was that kid who we all didn't revise together, but somehow I got the better grade. I was that kid in school. Yeah. Right? But this is the first time I actually put in effort to try and achieve, right? I was like, because I knew I'm starting from behind. Yeah, because you were so popular at home and you were, you were so smart that they were just, you were like, whatever, I could just fool around and still pass all the exams and everything. Exactly. Now here, I was like, I'm coming in a deficit, right? Because yeah. let's say I want to go to one of the good units to do less animation, right? And game design another time, that was the course. I want to go to one of the good unis, which in UK, there are only two possible options among the best ones were Bournemouth and Hertfordshire. Oh, wow. And I knew both of them want like the GCSEs. Now, all of us are going to GCSEs, so I don't have that. So I'm like, right. whoa. Like, my goal then, I said, I'm going to get a distinction 
like a D plus, which is like the highest grade you can think. Feel like an A plus in every single course module I do, and right. I managed to do that. Right, so that was a goal. So imagine to do that, I had to like really be switched on. That was every single module, contextual studies, everything. Right, and that's when I first pushed myself, and that's when you start seeing hints of what you could do. Now I got all the distinctions. My portfolio was right on point. And when I say a blessing in disguise, this is when I experienced something. That's when I learned that people break the rules for you if you're really good. Because I went to apply to these unis, and a lot of them on paper did not take functional skills. But they looked at my portfolio, and all of the, all unis accepted me. This is how I fight. When there's a uni, I'll not say the name. The lecturer took me out for dinner, trying to convince me to join that uni. Right. Then there's another uni, I'll not say the name. Okay, this one I can say. It'll be something solid. The one way to come to their uni, that's after I said it had to show, like, there's still a place for you here. This is generally they're telling me. We know you're in another uni, but there's still a place for you to come and join our uni. Wow. Right? So that, that really switched my mind onto that. Because remember, I came from Africa to here, and I was thinking about racism and all those things. And this made me go, people really, like, however racist somebody is, if you can make them profit, they'll be your friend at that time. So oh, it yeah. made me kind of focus. I was like, I'm not going to focus on what I cannot control, which is somebody being racist. I'm going right, to focus right. on being the best I can possibly yeah. be. And people do break rules for you if you're one of the best. And I, that's the first time I experienced that in terms of just, I was like, wow, did that actually just happen? Kind yeah, of, but like, I didn't like you believe said, like, would. you can't control people. You just have to control what you can control. So if you can just overlook that and then get what you need, you know what I mean? Exactly. So that was like almost the first push. And then the second big push, because the first push was I just wanted to get into uni to do it. The second big push was I learned that the remake of The Lion King, the studio doing it, was in London. That was MPC. Oh, yeah. That lit a fire up my ass. So am I allowed to curse? <laughs> yeah, no, you're always allowed to curse on this show, babe. It was, listen, it lit such a hot fire up my ass. I've never worked so hard as I did in uni that time. And it was crazy because I was a party animal, but <laughs> I don't drink. So I would party, but I would still go and get the highest grade. So I would party hard and also study really hard. So it was like, I had no rest. I did not rest at all. That's like what like I did second year uni. Like party, party, perform. You know, I'm a rapper, so I'd be performing and doing all the shows. And then I'd have like class at 6 a.m. Like I hear that. Yeah, literally. So I'm sorry. The only time it went really bad was there's a story when the first time in my life I, halluc- I, I hallucinated. What happened was there was a course module. Now, because I worked really fast compared to everybody else, it got to my ego. So my ego got pumped up and I abandoned the project I was doing to start a fresh one two weeks before the deadline. Now it's a two-month uh, project. But I was like, I can't do it in two weeks because no, my ego got to me at that point. Right? I, I learned a lesson that time as well. Yeah. Now yeah. from that, what happened was I realized I may not make it. So I said being all-nighters. So the first all-nighter was on a Tuesday night. Then a Wednesday night. The deadline is on Friday. So I did not sleep since Tuesday. Oh, I obviously those like, of here and there. That's the worst shit. I hate that stuff. Literally. I did not sleep for four days. Like about three days technically. Three and a half days, right? Yeah. <laughs> I went through it, right? I managed to get the work done. But this is the funny thing. Because it was one of my friend's birthdays the day before that deadline. And I promised I would only come for free drinks and then I'm going to go back to do work. I but because... Say, just wh- a few drinks, just a few drinks and I turned into the whole night. Yep. Nah, watch this. I go because I'm, this is my plan. I'm going to watch football to wake myself up again because it was Champions League, like Champions League happening. So I watch it but it goes all the way to extra time. That means I miss a pre-drink. So the time I get to pre-drinks, she's crying, she's drunk. She's crying, she's like, you say you'd come, da-da-da-da. I'm like, you know what, I'll come up with you guys for a bit. But I was so tired in my head 
I looked at the watch, right? It said it was around 11 something p.m. Thursday night. Now, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, the deadline is tomorrow. Not knowing that in my head, it's not processing as overnight. In my head, it's like, oh, it's, it's like I have an extra day almost. When it crosses midnight, when I look at the watch, right? And then it says Friday. That's when it hits me. I'm like, holy shit, the deadline is today. I leave yeah, the club. I, Remember, I've, I've been like, I have all night. And you're like, wait, no, no, no. It's this morning that I have to turn it in. Literally. I come from the fire. Remember, I've not slept for days and I just went partying and I was dancing. It was a good night, which was funny. Oh I God. go. Now, as I'm setting up the monitor, I'm so tired. I look to the left. I see somebody holding a baby up in the library. I'm like, what's the person with the baby in the library? And I stare at them for a few seconds. I look away to look back at my work. And then I'm like, wait, there's no way they'll let a baby in the library. So I look back and guess what was happening? The person was just adjusting their screen. But because I, I literally hallucinated them holding up a baby, they're holding up a screen. That's what they were doing. And you I saw, it's not like I looked and I looked, I, I looked for a few seconds. Jesus. So it was bad, right? I managed to get the work done. And the funny thing, on the way back home, right? Right? Because after I had it in the work, I'm going back now to, to sleep, right? Yeah. I was dozing so much. I dozed while walking. Like I was walking, then I just, you know, you feel the leaves. Then I open my eyes, I realize I'm, I'm, I'm walking into leaves. I'm like falling down into leaves. That's how tired I was. Jesus. And then I slept. I went to bed. I can't remember the exact time. It was, I think, one something. Like that's PM now. And then I woke, I guess around 1 30. And then I woke up something like 1 28 the next day. And in my head, it wasn't making sense because I could not believe I slept the whole day till the next day around that time. I was like, is my watch wrong? Have I not slept what day to? Because, like, you know what I mean? Imagine you go to bed at like 1 30 something. Then you wake up at 1 28. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, <laughs> wait, what time of day is it? Yeah, I, I was so confused, but it was crazy. But that, that was one of the crazy uni stories in, in among my climb up. Uh, but again, just saying the whole party hard and work hard thing. Even though I had the deadline, I still went out. <laughs> right? Today I would never do that. Work today. hard, play hard. You really didn't care. <laughs> Literally. I yeah, love so that. fun there. That's a big part of yeah. your personality because you're so fun. Because that's what I was mm-hmm. going to say. I was like, I couldn't believe you met with us right before D23. Like, aren't you supposed to be preparing and all this stuff? And then you were just like, no, like, let's get these tacos and I'm going to go work out and I'm going to go do this and then that. And like, I'm the same way because I have ADHD. So I'm very like all over the place. Like, let's do this. Let's do that. Oh, I need to go to Playboy HQ tomorrow. Let's do that. Oh, this meeting. Oh, and then let's go do this. It's like, you're just so booked. And like, that's kind of what keeps you going. And I think that's really part of your personality. And like, I feel like that's why Disney wanted to work with you part of, I mean, obviously because of your talent, <laughs> but they were just like, this guy can handle it all. This guy can really run up all these projects, you know? Yeah, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good thing. I think. Oh yeah, it's like, good to be able to multitask it. and be able to focus on many things because then you can get a lot done. Literally, literally. And even just that thing of always looking at things from a brighter lens and a happy lens, it always makes yeah. anything better. Anything you look at with a worse lens, it just ruins it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the same way as you, you know, that's how I ended up, like I was mentioning Playboy, that's how I ended up being a centerfold. And that's how I ended up for next week being invited to their office as one of their top earners. I never how thought I could you? do that. But then I was like, I'm wow. Curious. How did you end up in, okay, because I know you do a lot of things. What was the motivation for Playboy and ending up there? So it's kind of funny story. Um, When I was younger, I blew up on Snapchat. That's how I first got quote unquote internet famous or whatever. So I started getting a big following and then it kind of has transitioned over to Instagram and TikTok and um, Twitch and YouTube and all of these things and this Mm -hmm. podcast. So as I started gaining more and more popularity over the last few years, I guess these people have been watching me because 
Playboy reached out to me and they're like, hey, well, we'd love to offer you an opportunity to be a centerfold online. And I was like, there is no way this is real life. I was just so stunned and couldn't believe it. And they directly contacted me. They were like, here's what you got to do. Here's all the stuff. Like, here's how you're going to incorporate your brand. Um, and I was just totally shell-shocked. I was like, wow. Um, so, of course, I said yes. And I started arranging photo shoots with my creative friends. Um, I work with Jordan. He helps me with a lot of my shoots. And they told me I'm one of their top earners. And they want me to come in this Monday to the headquarters in Hollywood. And I was like, wow. Um but that's that's kind of like my own version of like your Disney thing, like because it's like wow, like I've, I've looked at Instagram my whole life, and I've never thought that I could be involved with this or be one of the top creatives and be one of the people influencing this company. But here we are, and um, it's funny you say like I do so many things because I do, but it's all related, like music, podcasting, acting, producing, um, modeling. You know, it's all very interrelated, um, and it, it especially ties together through social media and through merchandising. So it all really worked out for me and. Um, I just feel really lucky that I have so many people supporting me. Like you said, um, when I was in school, I was always popular and people looking at me up online, people looking into me, people wanting to hang with me. And that just kind of translated into the online following I have. And I'm just really lucky. And I'm just super grateful that I've gotten to the point where I can literally have people who are like fucking Disney animators on the show now. Like I'm at this point and it, it's just so, it's just so um, humbling. And so I'm so grateful. That's awesome. That's awesome yeah. to hear. Yeah, and I love it because um, the whole message behind Playboy is, like, embracing yourself and doing what you're comfortable with. So, like, I only do what I feel comfortable with, and I only do what I want to do. And I feel very um, in control of my brand now, and I feel like since big companies want to be a part of my brand, I feel a lot more respect for who I am and for the media presence that I have. So that's my story, I guess, with Playboy um, as of recent, and... Um, being the co-founder of Watchlight Entertainment really shows me that as a company, I want us as Watchlight to be able to give similar opportunities to animators and to creatives in the future and be like, look, I like your stuff. Like, let's let's work together. And it really shows that like reaching out to someone, you know, you could just get a response right away. And they're just like interested in helping and interested in being a part of the team. And I think that's what creating is all about. Um, and I know you can speak some more on that when we get into um, how you transitioned from university to to now where you have your company yeah um it wasn't as collaborative because it was i was on a mission that's the best way I can oh yeah 100 percent. It, it was literally a mission because i tailored my whole because remember i was one of the queen of smart kids this is the first time i was like i'm gonna sacrifice the grades so because you can get a first class degree but and then you can get an upper second which is the one right below the first class so first grade is the highest one i was like i'm gonna sacrifice a first class degree because i spoke to people in industry and nobody looked at anybody's degrees. I was like, I'm going to sacrifice that so I can target. You're like, I need work that company experience on paper. <laughs> yeah, literally. I was like, I'm just going to build a portfolio that they cannot deny. And I was, my competition, I was like, I'm going to compete with people who are doing masters and do things for people who are in master's degrees doing just to give me the best chance because I really wanted to do that. Because remember, Leon King was one of the films that inspired me when I was younger. So I was like, I want to work on the remake. So went through that focus my whole portfolio my whole third year was focused on targeting working on the lion king and then there's a day it's one of the best days of my life where i got three different phone calls so the first one was in the morning is more it was an email in the morning one was if give, give us our grades for the module i cared about and i got one of the highest grades in the uni ever 
So I was hyped about that. That was on that one. Right now, we see the dissertation. That one was wow. hyped because I was like, I'm just going to pass it. The next one was around lunch. I get a job offer. Now, at that time, I was scared that there were no jobs because wow. I was in Africa, right? Yeah. And I did not apply for this job. The only, I only applied for one job, which was the MPC one. I did not apply for this one. It's the company that's called Electric Theater. And they did advert. At that time, they were doing something for League of Legends. It was like, you know, the animations for League of Legends. They were doing one of those. And they reached yeah. out to me to come work for them. I remember replying yes before I read the whole email. I didn't even know where they were based. Then I found out they were in London. I remember I went to invest in Hertfordshire. So I had to travel by train from Hertfordshire to London, which is about, uh, by train it's short. It's like three, it's like 30 minutes. But yeah. I was a Brock student. So I would do it by bus, which would take two hours going, two hours coming back, or two and a half hours, two and a half hours. Oh my about. God. Right? And funny yeah. enough, I learned how to code on the bus. As I went to work. That's fucking baller, dude. <laughs> Literally on my cell phone on the bus going to work. That's how I learned how to code. It was, it was a crazy one. I was like, I have two and a half hours. I, I, I can do something in this time. So that was the goal there. Again, I was on a mission. So that was that. Worked in electric theater for a bit. And then on that same day by the that Friday, I got the job offer. Like I got an interview offer for somebody from MPC. It was Tom. He called us. Hello, is this coming? I was like, yes. He was like, ah, this is Tom from MPC. I was like, give me a second, let me go somewhere quiet. I put myself on mute, celebrated for a little bit, admitted myself, be like, yep, I'm good. <laughs> Spoke, he oh, told me God. when the interview would be. Did the interview. I like electric theater, know that if I get the job from MPC, I'm going to leave. They were very welcoming about that, which was odd. I was like, yeah. I thought I'll try and hold on, but they're like, yeah, we understand. It's good, you start your career, it's the job of your dreams and everything. Yeah. And then I got the job in MPC. And then the first day I couldn't believe I was there. The first film I worked on was actually The Predator. And then the next one was Darkest Minds. And then I worked on Lion King. And the day I got had the day I got moved to Lion King, I could not believe. I literally could not believe I was working on the project. Like I it literally Well, I mean that like you said, that was one of your favorite um stories. And you yeah, it was a story that made me love animation. Yeah. So, when so you I were realized, like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Oh my god. So that's that's insane. So how did you feel when they moved you to Lion King? And what did you do on Lion King specifically? Uh responsible for muscle skin and creature kind of mechanics so pretty much you try and build on how the character is gonna move and things like that wow so that was doing on lion king i, I remember how i felt i smelled so much my cheeks hurt when i go home it had <laughs> never happened to me like it was so painful like i but i i couldn't stop smiling i looked like an idiot i almost got hit you by were a so car. happy yeah i almost got hit by a car because in soho the cars drive like crazy and i was not paying attention because i was delirious and I almost got hit by a car. I remember that very clearly on the way home. But it, it was, I, I literally could not, because that's the day. All this Disney stuff, this is more the dream I have for Africa. That yeah. Working on that Lion King remake was my dream. And I worked on a big Hollywood film. And imagine not just any big Hollywood film, a film that inspired me to love animation. So that, wow. that was like a very big one for me. That's really cool. And I think that's so inspiring to, um, for example, everyone listening to this show, but also just young people everywhere that you could really love something and that you could really focus on it and make it happen. And that you could just be so invested in a, in a media property or a brand or whatever, a company. And you could just be like, Oh, like I really want to do this. And, and, and everyone tells, you, no, you can't, you got to do this way and you make it happen. And it's the best feeling. And I can't imagine like the, the feeling you felt like after that, when you, when you did Kugali and you got Iwaju put in there, it's like, yo, like, I'm making this happen. Like you already um, predicted for yourself. Like I'm just going to make a portfolio that no one can deny. Like this is just like the top work I could do. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. Feeling wise, Iwaju is a big deal. 
it, it made me feel amazing but i don't think anything will touch the lion king feeling because it was you know when because when you're young this this when you know when a dream comes up to you and it starts from somewhere and you you you're chasing it for so many years yeah that was lion king versus iwaju was one of the things where i knew i was gonna if because lion king i didn't think it was even possible it was just one of the things where I just believed in myself, right? I was like, it's a good chance it might happen, but I'm going to give it my best. Yeah, I, I, I totally do, right? hear that. I totally hear that. Like, you believe exactly. in yourself. And that's how I build music, Playboy, um, our production company, everything. It's like, this is what I've worked for so many years for. And obviously, that was my goal, right? But then at the end of the day, like, in the back of your head, you're like, okay, well, if this doesn't happen, you know, like, I did my best. Um, But, you know, it's your goal and it's your dream. And you you don't really know if it can happen or not. And you're just going to say, look, I'm just going to just F it. I'm just going to do my best and put put my all into this and see what comes from it and i think that's something that's um so valuable these days because like we were talking about earlier social media right you can gain this whole following and then people can feel really attached to you and be like wow like i really want to support this guy or i really want to support this brand or whatever it is they can feel like they are a part of your brand and i think that's what's changed society as of now because we can have this type of connection to the creators we love and to the projects we love. And I think that's why everything just fell into place for you because especially with media, social media, you know, um, the way advertising works now, right. It's just like you were put in the position where people want to root for you. And that's, that's the position you want to be in obviously when you're, when you're doing what you do. And I think it's really cool that you made it happen for yourself and you didn't let anyone tell you you can't make it happen. You were just like, fuck it. I'm going in, you know, (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. That's the only way. I think when you're young, that's the only way to approach it, right? So and that's a mentality we need to encourage young people to have. Like you said, you want to have kids. Like when you have kids, I know you're gonna tell them that difference. when you raise them. It's not gonna be like, oh yeah, you can't do this. Like you have to follow the rules, you know. It's, it's that's what I'm saying. It's like when you're young, you can take the risks, and it's only a risk for you. But the older you get, the more the risk is for more people. Like for example, right now with Kugali. I can't do some crazy mad experimental project randomly because there are people whose families depend on me right. performing and the company working well. Right. You get it? So you have the extra level of responsibility. But when I was younger, just starting out, I tried all the crazy things. I had like, I was averaging, and I was going from meeting to meeting, right? Just talking to different people. I would talk to like, I'd go to different, 20 different locations to meet 10 different people just right. because they want me to meet. Because again, I'm just setting off, so I have to go to their location they want, right? Right. And I went through all this in a day. I would do that, and I to me it was worth it. It's just right now it's hard to do something like that. The older you get, the harder it is to justify it. But the younger you are, the easier it is to justify things like that. Right, and taking a risk and all of that. And um, with with Lion King, how old were you when that happened? Uh, I can't even remember my exact age. Damn. Uh, working on it must have been, I think I was in 2016, I'm guessing. That's when I worked on Lion King. Wow. Either 20, no, 2017, 2017. That was so recent. Wait, so how old 2017, were you then? Sure. Hmm? How old were you then? I have no idea. You're like trying to calculate it. You're like, um. I've never thought, listen, I only know my age right now because I'm turning 30 next year. Otherwise, I didn't yeah. really know my age. For a very long time, I did not know my age. Like, I think it's I'll so funny corrected. you're the same age as Jordan because you guys have both achieved so much in different ways. But I really mm-hmm. always thought, oh my gosh, we're so young to have this big company. And then 
Khalif always told me about you, and for some reason, I always thought you were like fifty or something. I was like, because I never seen a photo of you or, or anything about you. I was just hearing about this guy who like was partnering with fucking Disney, and I was like, okay, that guy's gonna be like way older, right? But then, then I find out you're twenty nine, like Jordan. And I was like, okay, well, we gotta get this show on the road with a coach because look at what this guy's doing. Because it's it's just so inspiring, you know, that you just went for it and that you're running this whole company with your co-founders and that you made all of this happen. So after Lion King. How did this transition you into Kugali becoming the big company that it is? And, you know, what's the story behind your company? What's the message? And how did this transition into Iwaju and everything like now with D23 and like your whole partnership? Mm-hmm. How did that how did that transition from Lion King? Yeah. So in the beginning, so during Lion King, so I worked on a few films, right? I'd finished at that time. I right. just finished working on Lion King. I was working on Dumbo at the time. There's an animation yes. that came from Nigeria. Uh, a trailer that came out. I thought it looked really cool, but I was looking at it with rose-colored glasses. It's almost, it's almost like, imagine you have a kid and they show you a drawing, and it's good for a kid doing a drawing. Then I took that cool animation, I showed it to my colleagues who are just, you know, the film, the project we're working on. I showed it to them, and they, wrote, they just pointed out everything wrong about it. They pretty much roasted it, but justifiably so, they were pointing out the things were wrong about it. And that made me feel some kind of way. And right. that got me thinking, I was like, okay, here I am working on the cutting edge of visual entertainment and back home, our best efforts, somebody can justifiably like rust it. Then that, I was uncomfortable about that. Then that's when I said thinking about, okay, I've got the dream for myself. Let me try and do something for Africa because um, I'm a technical artist and I have a very wide skill set. I knew I'd always get a job. So I was like, I'll just, I'll just save up for a little bit. I'll go full-time, because I was already kind of building Kugali at the time, but I wasn't that serious about it. It was already kind of like moving, but I wasn't that serious. And this is what kind of like made me go, you know what, let me really focus on this. Then I went full-time Kugali, and the goal was, let me give it my best effort and see what happens at the end of it. Right, right. And you want to see what's going to happen from it. You know, let me just put this all in, because I've clearly exactly. been far, and why not? Yeah, because I believed in myself. I believed in how much talent I had. I was like, okay, I have all this talent. If I'm worth working on these big projects, I'm sure if I put that talent into the African industry, it's going to help it in some way. Right. So that was the whole goal. Yeah. And that's very cool. So how many co-founders do you have? And are the rest of them African as well? Yes. So I got two other co-founders. That's Tolu and Ziki. They're both from Nigeria. Wow. Very yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. And I, I love your message where it's like you're telling African stories because like we talked about earlier, you know, in the past, right, like our parents' generation is like, oh, like you just have to make content based on like what people want to see and like make it relatable to every single person, make it about other people. But now it's all about taking your brand and making it about yourself. Um, so how did that translate to Disney wanting to partner with Iwaju and how did that whole process um, occur? Yeah, so what happened was we were launching the first ever African comic book anthology. Mm-hmm. And from that, it, the, we did, did raise a Kickstarter. We're planning to raise 10,000 pounds, ended up raising 25,000. And that went a bit viral. And from that, BBC wanted to interview us. And during the BBC interview, I said they were gonna, that we were going to kick business us in Africa. Now, funny enough, they interviewed us for a whole day. And wow. I said that line. In my head, I thought they were not going to put that line in the thing. And then the day they launched the video, they literally put it in there as a title, gonna kick this is us in Africa. Now that got the eye of one of the Disney execs. I should reach out just to talk. It was that thing just to reach out just to talk. And then from talking to them, uh, we, uh, we went forward. We're like, we're gonna, we're gonna try and pitch them some stories. We pitched them a few stories. They really liked the stories. 
uh, we pitched directly to Jen Lee, the final pitch, which is the uh, chief creative officer of Disney. Oh, and yeah. that's one of the best days of my life was seeing her reaction to the stories. And remember, I grew up in Uganda, right? I couldn't believe, I didn't even think there was a viable career path. Yeah. So seeing Jen Lee being emotional because of the story told, her loving the story as much as she did, that it just blew my mind. I was like, who could believe this? Yeah. So that was one yeah, of those days. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how Iwaju happened. Just and then from the pitch, and then because it's the first time Disney has collaborated with any outside entity in their whole history, the whole hundred-year history, right? The first time they collaborated Disney Animation Studios with an outside entity, and it's us, and it's an African company which was started by Africans, and that means a lot because a lot of times Africa tends to follow the world. This is literally us. We led the path to this. We literally opened the door to this for every other person who collaborated. Yeah, with and you're and you're you're creating history, and I think that's so impressive, and I think career-wise and also just like personal like life-wise that just totally changed your life because as a longtime fan of lion king as an animator as a creative as a black man from africa i think it's so cool that just like all these different sides of your life and your personality just all kind of merged into disney and and it all worked out to how you wanted it to work out and your vision the whole time really came through for you and it's just so cool to see that you've made this happen for yourself and that you want to go back to Africa and build more and that you want to create this world for um, the future generations, um, not only animators, but also consumers. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's one of the goals for Kugali is actually uh, we want to build the whole African industry. We don't want people to have to leave Africa in order to pursue exactly. their goals as a creative. That's actually one of the pillars of one of the goals we are really going for. You're trying to create resources for them. Yes, resources, changing the culture, because also there's a culture uh, that kind of looks down at the arts, just trying to show the importance of it. Uh, so just trying to attack it in as many levels as we can to make sure we can make that industry as strong as we can. So cool. I think that's so awesome. Um, and to close out the show, um, I'd love if you would talk some more about D23 and your 5, 10, 15-year goals. Um, and obviously, you've already touched on all this stuff, but just so the, the listeners can, mm-hmm. can hear more about, like, that side of things, like where you are now, all of that. Cool. Uh, with D23, D23 was a hell of an experience. It's the first time I had a full-on feel-like-a-celeb experience, especially when we came off stage, because we killed it on stage. Like, it's one of those, like, we definitely killed it. Uh, there's a clip which I play over and over again when I'm having a tough day. Where I got D23 ready for Africa and everybody shouts. I just, um, that's yeah, just that's one of my favorite clip. clips from your Instagram where you're like, it's for Africa. They're like, woo! Yeah, it was crazy. It's just like thousands of people as well, right? So it's talking about, first of all, take a box, which was talking in front of thousands of people. So I've done that now, right? Which is, if you think about it, not many people, not many people can have the privilege of saying this book in front of thousands. Right? right that's crazy right. so there was that it's and insane. also all the different celebrities we met and people were just talking to normally and there was a dinner after and we're talking to all these different people normally i'm not gonna say names but a lot of high-end actors if you if you watch the 23 show you know all the actors over there all the actors yes, yes, there. yes it was a crazy thing and just like walking past people and then when we came off stage i told you about the celeb experiences when you give it the rules like, don't stop to take a picture because everybody will come to take pictures. You have to keep walking even when taking pictures. Talk to people while walking. Just follow this way. If it gets too much, we'll come and say, it was just like, damn. And then you're walking and they're walking you guys really quick into the car. I was like, damn, I feel like a real celeb right now. So that was like one of the first kind of like, damn, celebrity. Like, one of those moments, uh, one of my uh, friends in marketing says, 
you stop being you, you start belonging to the people. That was one of the moments that, okay, I feel like I belong to the people there, kind of in a way. Right. I mm-hmm. love that. And I think that's so cool that you put yourself in that position where you're not allowing others to define your story. You're creating your own story and everyone's looking at you in a sense like, okay, this is giving me the inspiration to do what I can do. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Because just speaking to people, which is crazy to think about, the number of people I've actually inspired, it's because I, you don't really, I don't really get time to think about it because I'm always working, right? But once Yeah, I'm you're always busy, back, busy. Exactly. And I talk to people and, you know, you talk to somebody and they go, you don't understand what this means to the whole of Africa. You don't understand what this means to all black people, right? Right. And I'm like, damn. Because remember, I grew up in Uganda. I don't have the quote-unquote black experience people had here in terms of growing up. I have here, I just moved into here and it's a very different experience, right? I've grown in a place where I see myself everywhere apart from the TV, which is funny, but we barely watch TV. But here, like if you grew up black in the West, you don't see yourself in many places. So it's that thing of like, I can see the reactions to that, the people who are African-American, black, British, and et cetera, right? When they talk to me about it, and you can see how much it means to them. And that, it, it, it's a heavy burden, but I love it. I like the responsibility of having it in my hands to execute something that life-changing is a big responsibility. Yeah. And I really appreciate it. And I take it very, very seriously. Is that related, by the way, to your AR filters? Because I know you made AR filters about Africa and, it's, and you made a huge um, post on Instagram about that. Does that relate into that message? Is that why you created that, those AR filters for stories? We generally just create AR filters. One, It's a different way of storytelling. Uh, it mm. goes, especially the Snapchat ones, Instagram as well. The yeah. Snapchat one, because the platform is based on the AR filters, it goes very, very quickly. I think yeah. they are, we want to hit 100 million views on our filters this year. We're hoping to. We're at 96 million views right now on our filters. So it, it travels and it's wow. a way to spread African culture in a very easy way. Like it's, a, it's one way where we can spread African culture in a subtle way, if that makes sense. Wow. That's so great and cool. And I, I make my own filters for a lot of my songs. Um, when mm-hmm. my back backup, you'll see if I have a lot of filters um, on my AR tab. And like, I've never gotten anything close to millions of uses on my filters, it's like maybe a few thousand. But that's, that's just so inspiring to really show like, if you have a great message, and it's like actually for like a project, and it's for um, a movement, you can really spread the word through filters. And I think that's a totally different world that we live in now and i think that that's so just inspiring that you have reach yeah yeah with the communities like like not only the black community not only the african community not only the british community like you just have so many different reaches with your brand and i think that's so cool and to, to close the show out you know um what are your last thoughts about kugali about um iwaju everything like what are your last thoughts and what's your What's the last step you want to tell everyone? Because you're just so inspiring. And I'm just so grateful you came on the show. Like, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I, I would love to see you again next time you're in the U.S. Um, we totally got to take you to dinner or something. There was this place <laughs> I we were going to take you called Din Tai Fung. But then you were, like, in Burbank and you were super busy. So I was like, okay, next time. But we got to take next you there time. next time because it's, it's so good. Yeah, um, I'll close out. I know it asked me for the five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan. I'll close yeah, yeah, yeah. that as well. And also yeah. just a message to generally anybody, right? Just, I'd say my plans, I usually do them in five-year chunks, especially now because the world is changing so much. 
And I just have a few checkpoints for the five year, and then I have a checkpoint for the ten year. So I don't try and lay the path; I try and lay a goal in a way. Uh, yeah. One of the goals for the five year is having a either a book or just some way I can record all the knowledge of everything I have learned in a very concise, organized way. Because I tend to ramble sometimes and I get off topic, but in a very concise, organized way that makes sense that I can just almost download the knowledge from my brain to anybody who likes to read it and yeah. wants to capture it. I like to pass that knowledge over because I have a very broad experience for how young I am. There's an experience I have for the age I have as well. I can communicate to people my age better just because I'm their age, but I have experience of somebody who is beyond my age. So I want to pass that down. That's one of the things. Uh, Kugali, again, I mentioned about just making sure we elevate the African entertainment industry, African visual entertainment industry, to a level where it's one of the world leaders. That's one of the goals I have for that. And in terms of just a general message to the rest of the world, I'll just end with that one. Don't be afraid to push. This is the time to push. The world is changing. Be, the, be one of the people who is creating the change in the world. Uh, just push as hard as you can. No need to be arrogant. No need to just be humble and work really hard and push for something you want to. It can be scary. There are some times where you don't feel like your hand wants to do the work. But just push as hard as, as, push as, hard as you can. People can talk, but work talks louder than people talking all the time. Just keep pushing and chase your dreams. Okay. I, I really like that message. And I think that that's a really important important mantra for our generation just because we need to focus on what we can bring to the table and how you can influence the next generation and the people around us and I think that's so powerful and I I agree with your 5, 10, 15 year thing because I mentioned that because um you know in Hollywood and like a lot of my bosses throughout mm-hmm. my time in entertainment before founding my own company of course they were all about what are your goals right upcoming like not just next year not just the next year but like five 10 15 years like what are your goals but i don't know if that's the right metrics like you were saying it's like you can have goals but it doesn't matter how long it 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 takes you just have to focus on your goals and you have to agree with you what you're doing yeah because funny enough is right now where i am right now because i was one of those people who wrote the goals in that kind of way i would go 5 10 15 I i had goals up to 60 years old in a way but all that had to reshuffle because I have achieved everything I wanted to achieve till about the age of 45 already. So yeah, like, you've already, you've so already done all I don't want the, I don't want the goals I set up to become breaks. I want to go as far as I can go versus trying to hit a goal at some point. So there are, there are rough things I want to hit, but I want the things to build on themselves, right? So I don't want to plan for what's across the mountain before I can see what's there. No, I totally hear you. And that's part of our whole process for Akoshu and for our webcomic and for our merchandise and everything. It's like, I want to just keep working on everything and make it the best it can be. I'm not going to give myself a time limit. Like, oh, it has to be, episode 10 has to be out by next week. Like, I want things to be in a certain streamlined manner so that we can create our our creative flow so that everything can fall into place. So that there's no rush and there's no pressure on any deadlines or any specific dates and i think that's that's a really good message that you're leaving everyone with and um before you go i'd love if you could plug the kugali and um hamid social media so everyone yeah can follow you. so kugali it's easy to find us we are kugali media on all social media platforms that's kugali media and then in snapchat i think we are kugali.ar if you have not managed to change that yet uh, Kugali.ar or Kugali Media, if you can find that one. And then my personal one is 
Hamid Ibrahim portfolio, like a portfolio of work. So Hamid Ibrahim portfolio, uh, mainly on Instagram. I just joined Twitter like uh, two weeks ago or something. Uh, but yeah, mainly Instagram and LinkedIn would be my things. So that's Hamid Ibrahim portfolio. Love it. All right, well, everyone go follow him. Thank you so much, Hamid, for coming on the show and definitely keep in touch. Um, I'd love to send you the comics before we release them so you guys are one of the first people to view them. And I'll tell Khalif and Jordan you said hey. And I'm just so happy that we could connect and do this show. And I can't wait for everyone's response to this. Um, I should be releasing this in about a week from now. And I can't wait for everyone to get this episode in time for Halloween, which is one of my favorite holidays. So... <laughs> Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, thank you so much and have a great weekend and I will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon too. Bye-bye.